Welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. Oh my word, it's like the 24th of December. It's the eve of Christmas for me. It's the AFCON final. It's the juggernaut that is Senegal versus the immovable, boring force that is Egypt. Well, we're previewing the AFCON final. With me, we have a star-studded panel. We have our On The Whistle associate producer, Alistair Howard, with me. We also have Francis Nguyen, our man on the ground in Cameroon. Francis, commiserations that your team did not make the final. Good luck in the third place playoff. And we have the king of Cairo, not Mohamed Salah. One even better, the flying pharaoh, the editor of kingfoot.com, Ahmed Youssef. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me for around the bride. This is going to get nice and fiery and spicy. It's good to be back with everyone. And uh, it's, it's been a great tournament. So hopefully uh, the final tomorrow it's going to be a good one as well. Yeah, great to see all of you again. It's, I can't wait to get back to London. <laughs> <laughs> Too I've much football, huh? <laughs> I've had my fall of, of, of Cameroon. But um, congratulations and best of luck to you, Ahmed, and Egypt. Uh, great game the other day, and we look forward to a great final. Cool. Let's not waste any time. I'm going to set the scene. I look at this final and I go, Senegal are a team of superstars. This is a Champions League team from the back to the front. Mendy, Koulibaly, Coyote, Mane, Gay. I mean, I look at this Egypt team and I'm like, other than Salah, it feels like a very average team that's dragged their way through. Ahmed, you know the Egyptian pharaohs intimately. Why do they have a chance in the final? Why will they not be blown away? Why do you believe your team can win? Yeah, I mean, when I first started this tournament, I was very pessimistic. I think a lot of people were because, you know, Egypt have struggled throughout the last couple of years without anyone really to help Salah. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, we, we've, we've historically had great, uh, you know, not, we've had a great team, but not a great individual. And now we have that great individual, but not the best of teams. But Actually, what's happened throughout this tournament is that um, there has been such a, a strong team cohesion, um, you know, and, and it looks like the team has come together. We've, got, we've had 25 out of 28-man squad actually play in this tournament. There's only three players who haven't gone onto that pitch. This shows how much of a team game this is and how well Egypt have done as a team. Um, obviously, goals are still something we've struggled with. Um, they haven't been scoring many goals. And, and it, so really what's impressed me the most is our defence. And we've had... I think in every single game, a different defensive part, centre-back partnership starting due to injuries. You know, we had Winch at the start, then you had uh, um, Hegazi injured, and it's just been constant rotation. But it has always been solid. Um, and that, that, you have to give credit to Carlos Quirez for that, because um, that's something he's definitely worked on. And, and I was, you know, a bit of a critic of, of, of his at the start, and I thought, you know, he was still playing Cooper ball. But actually, we, we, this isn't Cooper ball, because... Um, when we get the ball, we're not just hoofing it up. There, you can sense that the players are trying to get involved in the game and the midfield are trying to help uh, the attack. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's been a big, big improvement throughout the tournament. Um, my biggest concern uh, tomorrow, well, there's three. There's injuries. Um, you know, we were missing Hegezi. Uh, Abu Gabel keeps coming on. You know, he's on and off with his, with his, with his injury um, and the suspension of uh, Omar Kamel at, in, in, at right back. But also, the biggest concern is not having Carlos Curris on the sideline. You know, he's been suspended for the final after his uh, red card. And, you know, I don't want to go too much into the hatred in, in Egypt for Bakary Gassama because uh, he's still infuriated a lot of people. 
Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's great to see Egypt improving, and I think regardless of what happens tomorrow, everyone in Egypt is happy and with what's happened so far, and, and proud of the players. You raise an interesting question there: the impact of Carlos Queiroz not being there on game day. Um, I just wanted to open it up to the rest of the panel. How much of an impact does that have not to have the gaffer right there on the sidelines? I mean, for me, it generally wouldn't be a huge difference because I think, you know, the roles of the gaffers isn't as kind of involved as say it once was, you know, you've got a whole technical team doing work and you've got analysts and stuff. But the way in which Kiaras has carried himself during this tournament has been, you know, in terms of getting the best out of Egypt, he's been so central to that. I mean, we saw in, in the last game against Cameroon, him drop to his knees in the first five minutes and kind of frustration and, you know, super performative and he knows what he's doing. And I think that's the really important thing. You know, he's taking pressure off his players. He's putting it onto himself. He's galvanizing the players. You know, I, I was talking with a friend and he was saying that with every game in this tournament, Kiro seems more Egyptian. You know, he seems like he's becoming more and more part of the country and a part of their identity. And he, he's buying into that. Um, so I think, I think for them, it's a huge difference, you know, and it's really interesting because you compare him to Ali Cisse on the other side and Senegal's bench, he's the exact opposite. He's kind of the picture of calm and composed, you know, whatever happens, he's completely unflappable. And he clearly does that to keep his, you know, his team calm, you know, obviously Senegal, you know, have a bit of an identity crisis in terms of and an inferiority complex. And so there's a, you know, a chance for them to kind of panic when it comes to these pressure moments, whereas he's super calm you know, composed. So I think the fact that Kiroz is missing is going to be huge because they won't have that same kind of presence on, on the side, really drawing the attention of, of the, the team and as well as like giving Egypt the, you know, the ideas to, to, to carry them out onto the pitch and not just tactically, but also, you know, we've seen Egypt manage games superbly, you know, in the way they waste time and take injuries and, you know, all the kind of what we consider the dark arts or the cleverer side of, of football, which, you know, Egypt have been so good at. And, you know, I think Kiroz is, is definitely a part of that. I have to agree with that. Um, I think his in-game management has been uh, fundamental to the success story that has been Egypt uh, so far. But I generally think for a one-off game, um, it's very easy to make the necessary provisions prior. It's, it's not something that's happened maybe in the first five minutes of a game and you lose your manager. Then they have days to prepare for that. They know he's not there. They know the assistant isn't going to be there. They'll have all the tools and they'll have air pieces with uh, the team that's on, uh, like on the sidelines. I'm sure they'll have assistant in any which way. His physical presence is all that will be absent, but I think they will fill uh, Carlos Curtis's presence there. Anyway, and in terms of calming influence, um, I'm not so sure. He seemed to be the one who was losing his cool the other day. And that was entertaining. Um, but I think there is something, I generally think there's something infectious about African football because the passion, no matter how cool you want to be, I think the passion gets to you. But uh, in terms of the game itself and where Egypt are, first of all, congratulations to Ahmed and the Egyptians. I think they will put up a very fine show. Um, Zane, I think you're right when you touched on the issue or not the issue about like the one-man team but then there's something truly really remarkable that Ahmed raised which is where now they have the superstar um they're able to just be compact and solid and get through because brilliance can be found but they're not that dependent on it um because they have a spirit now um but i think the senegalese the hope for the senegalese is where i think cameroon came short because 
So we went to penalties, but the truth was the first 60 to 70 minutes of the game, if we finished, the game would have been lost a long time, in all honesty. You know, there were some pretty decent clear-cut chances for Cameroon, but they just didn't take them. And if the Senegalese can do that, and particularly see uh, Salah out of the game, and here I have to give a little shout-out to Nuhu Tolu for Cameroon, because I think he had a phenomenal game. Uh, this is a game in which we were able that to... That better be the prediction for the final. Yes, it is. It just said 2-0 to Senegal. <laughs> From El So, let's see. I think he has a little bias. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And the one thing I wanted to come in with, and I know I've sounded overly critical of Egypt, right? But they've knocked off the Ivory Coast. They've knocked off Morocco. They've knocked off the host Cameroon. There's something to be said about winning the ga big games against the big teams and being on the harder side of the bracket, isn't there, Ahmed? Yeah, and, and, and let's, not, let's not forget here, you know, Senegal are obviously the best team in Africa, but they've not faced a top 10 African side in this tournament. The, the highest ranked team they faced was Burkina Faso, who ranked 11th. So they haven't really had the, this challenge in this tournament. This will be their first challenge in the final. Um, and, and, and I look at the, the group stages, they were not great in the group, and they have obviously improved since. But um, I, I feel like, you know, obviously Senegal are the favourites, but there, there has to be kind of some sort of, you know, not, I say they have to be a bit respectful of, of Egypt's defence because they won't be able to kind of just run through them as they might expect that they have done in the last couple of games. And um, and one of the one of the main issues I have at the moment is you know the fact that Egypt have played an extra ninety minutes over the last three games. You know, um, and it, well, and two penalties on top of that. So the, the players are so fatigued. You could see at the end. You know, Salah was just you know he looked so drained. The players looked tired. Um, and and even going into the Cameroon game. I looked at the Morocco and Ivory Coast game. There was a bit more high energy and intensity in the Egypt squad against Cameroon. It was, you know, the, 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 as, as Francis said, Cameroon could have finished the game in the first, you know, 60 minutes. It could have been over. And it was just for their, their, their chances and some great goalkeeping. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think it's going to be the same, same game as Cameroon where Egypt will just sit back, allow, you know, Senegal to play and just have to hope that, um, you know, they, they defend well. Um, and, and I guess... You know, it's this is one of those things where you know some stats Egypt have been in, in the last five of the last nine finals. This, you know, and a lot of these players as well have been in a final. So I don't think there's much pressure on them. I think that's what's really going to help uh, Egypt. And I'm probably being a bit too optimistic, but you know, there's a lot more pressure uh, on on Senegal to win this because they've not won it before. Um, and sometimes that helps when there's not much pressure. You know, you can play a bit more freely. My last question on Egypt before we flip it to Senegal and start talking a little bit more about them, but how much does Mo Salah need this for his legacy? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where the Egyptians obviously think that he's, he's the best in the world and he's, you know, the greatest, but it's, it's about persuading everyone else, you know, we, we want him to win this Ballon d'Or. So sadly, sometimes you have to win a trophy, you know, you have to win something to, to be classed as the best player in that year. Um, and, you know, even though he has consistently with his stats and his goal scoring record and his assists as well this season, um, deserved it. I guess it's probably, you know, one for Ali and, and Francis to to kind of say, you know, does he need to win this to be regarded as the best this year? Well, um, if I may jump in, I think it's rather unfair, but it's uh, a fair route. Whoever wins stands a better chance of maybe making a secondary claim for Ballon d'Or. I've always thought, personally, that Mane was the one who was more underrated in terms of players. 
That's my personal opinion. I think Salah is a phenomenal player, but I've always thought Mane didn't get as much props as he deserved. So personally, I'm like, I'm more interested in the story where should Mane win, does he then begin to edge the way we appreciate the two players and then say maybe Mane is a better player than Salah? I don't know, because I've seen Mane change positions to accommodate other players. He accommodated Salah's arrival at Liverpool. You know, he was asked to go and start playing out left. That wasn't where he was playing before. He played out right. So he's learned some new tricks. And I think, personally, this conversation around Mane and Salah should be had as Africans. Um, and I think whoever wins the trophy then deserves a clean run at uh, the Ballon d'Or, in, in my opinion. But I think um, Salah, maybe more than, than um, Mane, um, stakes a better claim at present because of the way the year has unfolded for him. But this might be the very first star on the Senegalese jersey. And that in and of itself is something very few people actually pay attention to. A great nation, always been nearly runs. And for them, it means so much. They have such a following here from their former players. I mean, you have Fadiga, um, Diomantic Kamara, Elash Diouf, uh, Alassane Dur. I mean, the number of these former players who are here present just supporting their lads. They're just here to give them uh, support, encouragement. It's beautiful to see. There's a great harmony in them. And so there's a part of us that with heart, no offense, Ahmed, with heart, it's kind of like, take one. Egypt will probably win it again in years to come, but join the club of winners. That's how we feel as Cameroonians. We're great hosts like that. We wanted to give the Senegalese the chance. So you do your part. Let them beat you. I'm surprised Francis is being so positive about the Taranga Lions when we know this is a dominable Lions territory. But, you know, um, I, I sort of take your point, and I want to ask... Francis, you and Alistair, this very specific question. Senegal lost in the last final. They were outplayed by Algeria. Again, the favorites to win it um, um, uh, uh, three years ago now. Does Sadio Mane need to win this tournament, and I'll phrase it the way the Americans do, to prove that he's clutch? Does not winning this final damage his own legacy more than anybody else? I mean... I think it, for me, as someone as a, who's a fan of both of it, it's so frustrating because I look at Sadio Mane's kind of career since he first kind of burst onto the scene in the AFCONs, and I, I think he has the highest percentage of goal contributions of anyone in the time that he's been a professional footballer for Senegal. Like, that is sensational. You know, the, the fact that every single AFCON he has performed at the highest level, you know, he did it in 2019. He's done it this year. I think he's been excellent. You know, he's probably been their one bright spark in, in most of these games where they've been pretty dreadful. And I think it's really frustrating when you then look and see, oh, yeah, if he doesn't win this, his reputation will be that of someone who's, you know, second best. He's not at the top, which is such a shame because I think he's, he, he doesn't need to prove that to anyone. But I, but I also think it's really interesting that clearly these players feel that pressure. And you see that uh, particularly on Salah. You see, like, how, you know, frustrated he was not to be higher ranked in the Ballon d'Or and all of these things, and he clearly took it to heart. And as well as, I think the thing that really kind of burns this narrative between these two, not just the fact that they're Liverpool players, but they're both such likable characters, um, and they both clearly love their country so much. Like, they both contribute so much to their countries, 
um, and, and, you know, in, in totally different ways, you know, Salah is very kind of reclusive in the way that he kind of goes about his business, but he's so adored by, by Egypt, where Mane is very kind of active when he comes back to Senegal, he does a lot kind of in his local village and community. Um, so I think we, it's a shame because we want to see both of them succeed. But I think the reality is in, in sports that, yeah, you know, to, to prove that you are the very best, you have to win tournaments and you have to be the difference maker in finals. Um, and we see that pressure on Salah because obviously he's, you know, probably Egypt's best ever player in terms of his quality, but he still won't measure up to your Abutrikas and, you know, these guys because they've done it. They've been to AFCON, they've won it. And so I think there, there is an element for Mane. Yeah, you know, he has to prove that he's, he's clutch, even though, you know, in terms of his performances, I don't think he has to. I think he's a phenomenal player. Well, I don't, my, I'm slightly left of center in this one because I think in Africa, we don't, it's not trophies that define our best players on the continent. Uh, you rarely hear people talk about the number of trophies somebody had or what they won as what becomes a determining factor and if they're considered great or not. Um, the teams that make Cameroon's names, for example, in 1990, they won nothing. That's the honest truth. They just made it through further in the Rock Cup than anybody else had. But they appreciate effort, they appreciate endeavor, and Mane is already a living legend among Senegalese. And if you hear how even the former players speak about him and the way the average Senegalese take to him, he doesn't have much to prove to them. It'd be a fantastic thing for him to do, but they don't have a track record of winning. So it's not like he will be less than Fadiga, to whom he handed over his jersey the other day to say, oh, I'm giving it back to the original number 10. It's not because Fadiga won the African Cup of Nations that he would then come and say, because you hadn't done like me, so you're not good enough. Um, the Senegalese love him, and across the continent, I think everybody knows he's a phenomenal player. Mohamed Salah, the same. And like Alistair said, it's a bit unfair that we're pegging their legacies to victories in a one-off game. Um, but I don't think on the continent it's, it's uh, interpreted in that fashion. It's a very, dare I say, occidental conversation we're having right now. Amongst people here, they just want to see a person deliver on the pitch and like when Mane scored that last minute penalty in the first game to carry them through for the Senegalese and for the fans who were there in Bafusam, it was just, here's a boss player. Here's just a person who's saying, okay, I step up when my nation needs me. And I believe he's at three or four goals already in the tournament. It's more of that that people look at, like, did you turn up and did you deliver for your team? Whether you win or you lose, it's an extra. Um, so I don't think really tomorrow is about who lifts the cup in our space. It's who plays the way we see you on TV, who's able to just turn up, do a nutmeg or two, be confident enough to dink a ball over a guy's head. Those are the things that our fans and African soccer followers actually enjoy. Did I just say soccer? Forgive me. Don't worry, Francis, you're clutch. It's all good. Um, <laughs> just to add on that as well, I think, you know, um, you mentioned France earlier about how Mane is more versatile, and absolutely, I think we saw against Cape Verde, he's playing more, you know, more like a number. It's you know, it's more central midfield, central attacking midfield in position. And his true ball for that first goal was, was unbelievable. I think that's one thing that I feel Salah can't do. He's he's stuck in that position, um, and if he's not around the players who can feed him, then it's very difficult for him to get involved. And that's what we've seen in this tournament. He, he obviously has that absolute brilliance. If, you, if he gets the ball around the box, there's going to be trouble. But if, if he's not, then you know, he's out of the game. 
So true, because that's the point I was actually alluding to before. And when I was saying like, how, no matter, young Nuhu Tulu, phenomenal. And I speak with, with my friends in the American space and they, for them, his victory over Salah was like the MLS stepping up and saying, we have players who can handle the best in the Premier League. And it opened up an amazing conversation in, in the American space, which I've been following for the last uh, 48 hours. And they're so fixated on like, how Salah was out of the game. But I guarantee you, if Nuhu was playing against Mane, Mane would have found another place to go to and another defender to go and try his hand at. But Salah just stayed where he was with this one guy who was getting the better of him, but he almost didn't know where to go. And if the Senegalese study that game plan and they just put somebody on him that can just be strong, aggressive, and present, then you have a challenge because the creativity comes through him. But El Neni is the one player who I think, I don't know where this El Neni who plays for Egypt disappears in club football, but he's the motor. And I really enjoy his positioning. Like he'll drop deep to pick up the ball, spreads the play unbelievably. And then you look and you're like, oh, that's the guy you need to mark out of the game. So I think for me, if the Senegalese can see out Salah and put a little bit of a focus on El Neni, then... If they can finish, which is what Cameroon was unable to do the other day, maybe a last juice prediction of 2-0 would be the case. But if they don't do that, then magic from Salah is not impossible either. You've raised a valid point there, Francis, because I wanted to ask everyone, obviously, the conversation centers on Salah and Mane. But outside of those two, who are some of the players to watch um, in each of those teams? And I say that a little unfairly because Senegal is stacked, right? That's a Champions League team in many ways. But Alistair Ahmed, who'd like to pick that one up? Yeah, I mean, from, from Egypt's perspective, I think we have to look at the defence because that's really what's, what's held Egypt through this tournament. And um, you look at uh, Mohamed Abdul Manim, who um, he's a young 23-year-old centre-back, Al-Ahli, being loaned out for a number of years now. And, and it's like that Chelsea system where you have a lot of, they have a lot of players, they loan them out. Um, and he was, you know, a very, a quite a fairly unknown player, and he just moved to Future FC. Um, and you know, credit to Carlos Cruz for, for including him in the Arab Cup last uh, last month because that's where he, he you know, got into the national team, made his debut, and and then you know had to fill in this tournament. But he's been absolutely amazing. He was man of the match uh, against Cameroon. Um, so he's definitely one player that you know he's really impressed and. Um, on the left as well, uh, Abdul Fattah, he, he's been phenomenal. He's been showed a lot of skill with his nutmegs and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not necessary for Egypt about the flair attacking players. Having said that, we've got Omar Mamouche, the, the uh, Stuttgart left wing, who is also uh, pretty good. So I feel, you know, obviously, if you look at the whole, Senegal's team is better. Um, but, you know, there's definitely some pockets of talent within, within Egypt. I think the main issue is, is the central midfield positions because... Um, you know, there's yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously he he does a lot of the running and a lot of the hard work, but around him, uh, he he needs that support to you know, to help get Salah involved in, in the game. But um, for me, the two players are, is Abdul Munim and Abdul Fattah. For me, I'll look at the Senegalese team and I'll talk about the two Mendys for me. So Mendy in goal, I think, will be really important because he brings the stability to them, psychological. Um, Kuli Valley for me has been just okay in all, in all honesty, like literally just okay. Uh, he does his job, but he needs a strong Mendy presence to, 
to garner them the way they, they're being garnered at present. And then our other young brother, Mendy, in the middle of the park has been for me a true revelation. I liked him already, but I like the sense of responsibility he's happy to take on. Even his ability to, his position when he's looking for the ball off the ball is he's always making himself open, available. His runs are very intelligent. Even with free kicks, he's making himself available to take the free kicks that you would think a younger player would be saying, okay, I have elder brothers here and I'll let them do these things. But I think in those two people and those two players, Senegal have a very important uh, element that is one of spirit and purpose. So Mendy will take care of the guys at the back, but I think um, Mendy and Mids will also make sure that the attacking player also supports. They're not as dependent and just the Mane as maybe Egypt might be, but the Egyptians um, have their options as well. But in Senegal, I think the two Mendes would be the two players I would say let's look out for. Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, I totally echo what, what Ahmad said about Abdelmanim. I think, honestly, I think if Egypt win this, I know he won't, but I think he's the, he, he should get the MVP award of the tournament. He has been just sensational. Um, every single game has not put a foot wrong has played against some of the best center forwards in in kind of the comp competition and has come up every single time and has performed brilliantly. I think I think he's been superb. I think from the Senegalese side, I think Senegal are a really interesting team, right? Because obviously so much of the creativity comes through Mane, particularly because their midfield, you know, like like France is saying, like they have such a powerful midfield, you know, with Mendy, Kuyate, you know, what either one of the gays, you know, just a gay papa gay, you know, Papi Mate Sar, they have so much energy. And I think that's where Senegal really come to life is, you know, the, in the first half, they have their players like Boulaya Dia, Bamba Dieng, who really run the channels. They work the defenses hard. They tire out teams. And then in the second half, they bring in some more players. They bring in Pape Sar, they bring in uh, um, Gay as well. And then they bring in the big one, which is Ismail Sar, you know, who's just got so much pace. Um, so I think I'm going to be really interested to see how Egypt cope with that in terms of their exhaustion, just because they're so knackered already and they're coming up against one of the kind of most energetic and pacey teams. Um, but I think the biggest one for me is, and I know this is quite an under the radar person, but I think Famara Dieju is so important to how Senegal play because Senegal, the, everything they do is kind of around money. It's about him, you know, it's either him creating or scoring chances, which is what I think he's so good at and why I love watching him play for Senegal as opposed to Liverpool because he's much more of a creator. He plays as a 10, like I've said. But Dieju is so important to that. You know, we saw it in World Cup qualifiers. We saw it here at, at the tournament, both, both of them assisting each other. Um, it's their link-up play. And so I think it's going to be, especially with Omar Kamal, who's you know, suspended for this game, is that's the big, big question for me is who, who's going to play a right back? And is El Nene probably who's going to be in that midfield? How are they going to cope with Mane and Jeju? Because they're going to want to link up. They're going to want to come. Mane wants to come central, play those one-twos, get into strong positions. So I think for me, that's the real, that's the battle. That's the key battle, that right-back position. Because, of course, Salih Sis as well, who's you know, the fullback for Senegal, he wants to bomb on. He's really great at attacking. But if he does that, you have Mohamed Salah, who's coming behind him. And, you know, he's the best player in the world. who's kind of wants to attack open space and gets isolated against centre-back. So I think that, for me, that whole Senegal's left flank, Egypt's right flank, that's where the game's won or lost. And I can't, I can't wait to see that. I think those are the players to keep an eye on. I, I, I agree with that as well. I think, you know, we're going to have to probably play... A man I'm sure who never played at right back in that he came on at the end of the game at right back last time. So 
a player out of position, it's going to be worrying. But just one one little addition as well. I have to give credit a lot to Egypt's goalkeeper, Abu Gabel, who came in this tournament through the injury to Hamad al-Shanawi. Um, and this, you know, at least we're going to this final knowing we've got two top goal, quality goalkeepers on either side. Um, and it's great to see that because, you know, you know, Egypt have kind of had, you know, since Al-Hadri, you know, there was a gap. We hadn't had really strong goalkeepers and, and now we're back and obviously... With uh, and obviously, you know, Senegal have the best keeper in, in the world at the moment, uh, Edward Mendy. So, um, it's great to see that. We're gonna well, go speaking around of the Egyptian goalkeeper, though. He could also stay back in Cameroon if he wants because I think he's won over 90% of the women in this country. <laughs> they, they, he's got nicknames galore. We were clubbing last night and they were singing his name, and we were like, This guy just stopped our penalties, but he's now their hero. Yeah. No, he's not handsome. And then we're like, Wow. <laughs> Insight like you'll never get anywhere. Thank you, Francis. Um, I was going to go, before we go around the houses for predictions um, to end the pod, Alistair, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Cissé. I remember pre-tournament coming in, the experts were saying the pressure wasn't on him. He's not popular with fans back at home. If he doesn't win here, could this be the end of the road for him, particularly because Senegal and Egypt have a crucial game coming up before the World Cup? Yeah, I think I think that's a fascinating choice because I think coming into the tournament, yeah, I think people have, have generally been big fans of Ali Cissé, but I think particularly from what I understand back home in Senegal, there's people haven't been quite impressed with how Senegal played. You know, obviously they got to the 2019 final, they performed really well in the World Cup in 2018, and were so unlucky to get knocked out on the fair play rule. Um, but the performances haven't quite been there. You know, the football hasn't been as you know sharp as you know a lot of these other countries like like your Algeria's in the last couple of years. So I think from you know talking to people in Sen- you know Senegalese journalists, the message was you know win it or go home. You know, and and that was the pressure on Al saying, You know, he's been in the job for you know five or six years now, so he's been there a long time. Um, and and I think now though there is I think there's a bit more tension because there's the understanding that yeah we have the huge World Cup qualifiers coming up. And do they want to mix things up by sacking him if he doesn't win here? I think it's going to be really interesting. But I think, I think the pressure is still there. Obviously, I think the pressure is huge on him. And I still think he's kind of operating under that. That if he doesn't win tonight, that's him done. Uh, you know, Senegal will move in a different direction. Which I think for a lot of us who have been really big fans of him and big fans of, you know, particularly this tournament, seeing local-based coaches, you know, not hiring Europeans or any, you know, but hiring from within. We've been, it's, you know, it's been a joy to see him at the helm. But hopefully, hopefully it won't be the end. But I think, I think the pressure is still there. And I think there is a good chance if, if he lost tonight that, or tomorrow that he'll, he'll see, see the axe. All right, guys, we're going to go around. It's prediction time. I'm not a betting man, as you guys know, but we can bet Nando's meals. I actually had Nando's for lunch today. It was amazing. Um, but maybe we'll start with you, Alistair, as the young buck on the pod. What's your prediction for the final? We'll then head to Francis and we'll give Ahmed the final word. Well, I mean, my pre-match favorite, uh, tournament favorites were, were Algeria, Senegal, and, and Cameroon. And Algeria obviously did me dirty. And, uh, and Cameroon haven't made this far. So I, you know, I, I feel like I'm honor-bound to, to stick with Senegal. I, I think, for me, the thing that makes the difference between these two teams is Egypt have played, like Ahmed said, 90 minutes of football extra two penalty shootouts, the physical and emotional and mental turf, like kind of pressure that builds on a team, I think will be too much. And I think Senegal will win it. I think it'll be 1-0 at, you know, at most. It'll be so tight. 
But having said that, every single round of the knockouts, I predicted that Egypt would lose. So I'll hold my hands up and say, I've, I, every time I don't have faith in this team, they prove me wrong. So uh, you know, I wouldn't take my word for it if, if there's anyone out there who is, who is into their betting. <laughs> I'll go for a 2-2 results, extra time, and then penalties, Senegal wins. That's um, a game I want to watch. <laughs> that, that's, that's, you know, France is very controversial. I actually was thought it would go to penalties. I think it would be nil-nil penalties. But I just don't see Egypt losing a penalty shootout. We haven't lost one since 1984. So uh, I think we'll win, it. We'll win it the, another penalty shootout again. Cameroon hadn't lost at home since 1988. And you proved us wrong. Well, well, technically we didn't lose. We didn't, technically, you didn't lose in full time, so uh, you might be able to oh, hold thank me. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I need to go out and drink. I, thanks. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> the, rec- the record stands. <laughs> I, I have to say that um, I'm. I'm. If if I'm going to pick one of you guys, the game I want to watch is Francis's. But if I think I'm going to go with Ahmed, I think this is going to be nil nil, and then the Egyptians do what the Germans do, or maybe we should say do what the Egyptians do. All they do is win, 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 no matter what, got money on their mind. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Listen, guys, it's an absolute pleasure. For those of you listening out there, please let us know who you think is going to win the final. OTW underscore podcast, Instagram, Twitter, go to Facebook on the Whistle Podcast, find our group, leave us a comment there, or leave us a comment if you're listening here on the podcast on Spotify, Google, Acast, Apple, Give us your prediction. Um, the closest one might get Nando's if you live in a part of the world that has Nando's. Sponsored by yours truly. Um, but also those who want to join and keep the discussion going, we're going to be live directly after the final on Twitter, on a Spaces. Come and find us. Um, we'll be there continuing the debate after the final. Um, it's a chance for us to interact, to share, to look back at this amazing tournament that's at highs and lows. Maybe you want to talk about Jani Sikarswe. Maybe you want to tell me about another inspirational moment. Um, we'd love to hear it. And if you're a South African, we do have a dog in the fight. We have the referee in the final. Good sirs. Enjoy the game. I can't wait to talk to you in the spaces. Ciao for now. <laughs>